I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Your source for big game talk. It's off tackle. Empire! Charging Blockcast, an off-toggle empire production. I'm here our esteemed Badger associate, MC Clap Your Hands. How you doing today? Well, hey there, hi there, ho there. Happen to, happy to jump aboard here. I want to give a shout out to my uh, my homies up in Schwabenon, Wisconsin, home of the Jaguars, and uh, looking forward to talking a little round ball. I, I, I can't keep doing this. I, <laughs> It, you know, it, it hurts. I actually didn't notice a whole lot when I was in Madison a couple weeks ago and made that terrible decision to go to that particular game. Uh, I didn't oh, hear. I disagree. In this, <laughs> well, as I think you and I can agree after this week's results, basketball is the only sport that actually exists or that matters or that makes anyone happier that anyone should ever talk about. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is a it's not been a good couple of weeks. But we're going to push forward and, and pretend other things are more important. Yeah. Yeah. And again, the good thing about one season bleeding right into another is hope always springs eternal. And boy, it's been a few years since I look forward to basketball season quite this much for a couple. Of I reasons. can't blame you. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, well, in, in a good way for basketball and in a worse than usual way for football. So that being said, Wisconsin's in somewhat of an interesting position now. Um, the last, I mean, it's been several years now since we knew what a Wisconsin team without Ethan Happ looked like. We're about to find out. And so the single word I, in the other episodes, the other previews, there's been in my mind, I've tried to put a single word on what the mindset is for every program in the conference right now. For Wisconsin, my word is transitional. Uh, after a celebrated 14-year career in Madison or, or there, <laughs> it felt like, honestly, um, an early-round exit in the tournament, but Wisconsin did get back into the top four of the conference with a 14-6 and six overall record in a very difficult league. So I'll kick it to you first. What were your feelings about the way Wisconsin season went last year? Well, I, I think there are a couple chapters to it. The, the most prominent, uh, you know, they in, in January – had that big win over Michigan that really kind of kickstarted a run of uh, some really strong wins that kind of elevated them up to uh, ultimately finish fourth in the conference, take back that uh, that title of uh, starting a new streak of top four runs that everyone loves. Um, but they 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 were looking really strong down the stretch. Um, unfortunately, you know, couldn't really handle Michigan State at any point, got bounced out of the, the Big Ten tournament, and shooting just kind of escaped them uh, in the last couple of games, and especially, you know, dealing with Oregon, a, a team that they've um, had some strong results in in previous years. They seem to always get the same three teams in the NCAA tournament, Oregon being one of them, but um, just really couldn't find find points down the stretch, and 
uh, that'll continue to be a, a concern going forward. But overall, a uh, very positive year on the whole. Um, their their lengthy tournament streak came to an end the year prior, so there was some concern with Coach Guard and the program that he was building and if he was going to be able to to kind of keep everything rolling. Um, so in that regard, it, it was a strong year. Yeah, it, and again, with the new coach, even a guy who was a carryover assistant from the last coach, you're going to have somewhat of a transition. The tournament result, I don't know if I would necessarily be all that disappointed about. I mean, the 5-12 upset thing <laughs> is a thing for a reason because it happens pretty regularly. And Oregon was a team that may have ended up a little bit underseeded because of the way, I mean, they had horrible injury luck at the beginning of the season, but by the time the tournament came around, they had really found their footing and were a lot more like, I don't remember what their preseason projection was, but I think they were ranked at the beginning of the year. Like they were well-regarded last season. So not too much shame in losing there. It's not a result you want, but it's an, it's an understandable one. Especially when you're, you know, predicted as the five twelve upset uh, flavor of the year for for that, and, and you come through in that regard. Uh, that's uh, never ideal when everyone is right. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think we walked away thinking Oregon was was pretty strong. But uh, you don't like being bounced that early, especially when literally the rest of the conference makes it through the next round. <laughs> Right. And, you know, the Big Ten's early success in the tournament last year felt like a little bit of validation of the conference's reputation as one of the better in the league in in the uh, country last year. Uh, From Wisconsin's perspective, you mentioned that they hit their stride substantially in non-conference or in conference play, which is which was an improvement after the non-conference. We had an early schedule that had matchups with Virginia, the eventual champion Marquette. the one that was kind of unexpected was Western Kentucky, but those odd balls will happen once in a while. And then there was a little bit of a stumble right out of the gate with a three and three record in the conference, but to go from three and three to 14 and six is nothing to sneeze at. Of course. Yeah. Like I was saying before the, the home stretch when, when you really kind of need to be putting wins on the board for, for the committee to, to select you in general, um, not really strong in the, in the non-conference stretch, um, decent win with, with Oklahoma and, and starting out the conference slate with Iowa. But, uh, yeah, the Western Kentucky was, uh, that was kind of a no win setup to begin with. That's, um, tough to go into their place and, and, uh, have them with their super bowl of sorts, uh, hosting Wisconsin. But yeah, uh, yeah, down the stretch, uh, really played some, some strong basketball that kind of, uh, sputtered a little bit at the end. So pivoting a little bit to this season, obviously Ethan Happ graduating is the elephant in the room, not just because of <laughs> his name and renown, but on court, his production really was kind of unprecedented in terms of percentage he's making up. I mean, you see guys who account for a lot of their team scoring. You see guys who account for a lot of their teams rebounding. You don't generally see guys who account for high percentages of scoring, rebounding, assists, steals, blocks. Right. Like the guy, the guy did everything. And if it's, if it's maybe fair to say that there were some holes in his offensive game, specifically distance shooting and free throws that prevented him basically from being an early NBA player. I mean, that's about all you can say is that, 
the fact that he wasn't a completely three-dimensional offensive force is the only thing that kept him in Madison for four years. But with him being gone, there's an identity question going into next year. And he's not the only guy gone. I mean, Khalil Iverson chipped in occasionally. Charlie Thomas a bit less so, but he's he was a guy who played a fair amount of basketball in his career. So with those three guys gone, the focus of this team feels like it has to shift somewhat. What do you see out of the returners that gives you cause for excitement for this year? Uh, as far as excitement, I think you're going to see a few returning guys that um, have an opportunity to really come into their own. Um, I, I think someone like Brad Davis is, is more or less a, a finished product, but he's been, he's been producing since day one. Um, Nate Reavers, he's uh, he kind of broke out last season a little bit, um, but with, with Hap taking really a, a ton of usage and a ton of focus uh, away with him, uh, I think Wisconsin will be looking at more kind of getting back to those swing offense principles, getting their bigs out, getting moving the ball around Hap. Uh, he, he provided a ton of offense and, and kind of was the offense because of the way he, that he plays. You, you want to get him a lot of touches in, in the post and more often than not, he would either get double teamed and create open looks for others, or he would just go to work in the post and, um, get a either get a bucket get to the foul line um and and they're losing that so it'll be interesting to watch i I think there's a lot of unknowns with wisconsin just because of how different i would anticipate they're going to play particularly on offense um but it'll be interesting to see who um who really steps forward we know we we pretty much know what demetri trice and and brad davison are um cautiously optimistic about uh, Aleem Ford, who we're, we're hearing great things about in the offseason, but Badger fans listening know that's not a, a guarantee, thinking back to the Andy Van Bleets of, of previous years. Um, but with with all of that and, and the tra- incoming transfer of Micah Potter, uh, once he's eligible to play, It'll it it'll be interesting to see. I, this is probably one of the teams I think has the most variance as far as expectations. I could see them in the top four. I could see them really struggling, uh, replacing all the production that's gone. So, uh, not really sure what to expect, but but cautiously optimistic. It's it's fair to say that this is a team with a fair amount of mystery around it. Um, without Ethan Happ, there's a lot of different directions that the offense can choose to distribute all those touches, right? I mean, you mentioned Nate Reavers, and he, to me, is the guy, from an outsider's perspective, who is by far the most intriguing. He's got the size to play as a traditional post player if he wants, but obviously has a bit of more of a shooting touch than Hap ever did. So if he's able to handle a larger role, it takes a lot of pressure uh, off of the interior because Hap, Thomas, Iverson, those guys are all front court players. Mm-hmm. The Badger backcourt comes back pretty much intact. Um, you could hope, obviously, for better health. They've had, I mean, I know Kobe King was, was he dinged up last year? I think in the year before. I think the um, year prior, he uh, all right. he took an injury right before uh, he would have been locked in for uh, eligibility, eligibility year, I think. But, but he was mostly healthy this past year. Uh, the concern with Kobe is, is confidence. 
Um, he can score at all three levels. He can create his own offense. You just kind of want to see some some alpha dog mentality to him that um, don't see a whole lot of right now. But he's capable of of being the leader of the team. Uh, he just has to put it all together. Yeah, and I would imagine they're probably going to play more three guard sets to the extent they're able to defensively. I mean, that that might put them in a bit of a tough spot, but. Him backing up Trice Davison. Um, you saw moments from Brevin Pritzel last year. That's, I mean, that's a, a guard group that can succeed in the Big Ten as long as they get some support from the front court. And beyond Nate Reavers, it's going to be a little bit of a mystery. You mentioned also Micah Potter, and of course, he's got to get <laughs> first semester because he done played too much school. So, yeah. <laughs> and they're but, still you know, appealing that. We'll we'll see how that got their appeal was. Uh, initially denied of course so he'll be missing about 10 games uh, i think they're appealing that further uh, for those that aren't familiar he uh, transferred to wisconsin at towards the end of the fall semester um, didn't play the entire basketball season but uh, has only been at wisconsin a little over a semester now and the latter reason is why his appeals being denied as he hasn't missed the full year yet but Wisconsin is uh, appealing that he, he missed the full basketball season. That's uh, a simplified version of that uh, situation. But I, I, I think it's fair to assume that he's, he's going to miss games because the, the whimsical NCAA waiver determination wheel uh, didn't come up in his favor. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting in the front court. We know uh, Reavers can produce. Uh, Wisconsin's a little short on bigs. Otherwise, uh, outside of Reavers and Potter, um, redshirt freshman Joe Headstrom's another potential option to get some minutes. Not sure he's ready yet, but uh, he has outperformed expectations in his red redshirt years from a development standpoint. So uh, it looks like he's good for at least putting in some meaningful minutes when needed. But uh, as far as true bigs, uh, looking a little thin, looking a little thin. Yeah. And the developmental aspect that you mentioned, obviously, is where Wisconsin found most of its success under Bo Ryan. They're going to have to get back to that, at least for this season. I know recently, actually, their future recruiting has taken off a little bit. But, you know, guys in the 2021 class don't exactly help for this season. So uh, the only (laughs) yeah, (laughs) the, the only other guy they've got coming online this year other than Potter would be Tyler Wall, who was about a fringe top 200 player. So on paper, not a guy that you expect a big impact from right away. They're going to have to hope that, as you mentioned, guys like Hedstrom, Oleen Ford, who you talked about earlier, guys who've been on campus for a year or two are able to step into bigger roles um, this season because there's there's not a whole lot of on paper obvious impact talent other than that. So... The schedule is interesting in that it kicks off with a trip to St. Mary's right away. Um, right up front. Yeah, and then there's a pretty early matchup with Marquette as well. There's a number of Big Ten teams that play Marquette this year. They're going to be in an interesting position, of course, with the Hauser brothers bailing. Right. But, you know, Marcus Howard will still be a preseason All-American National Player of the Year candidate type. So that'll be interesting to see how they handle that type of talent um, elsewhere in the non-conference is a trip to Tennessee, um, a Legends Classic tournament that could mean an early matchup with Auburn, depending on how that field plays out. 
and then North Carolina State in the Big Ten ACC Challenge, which I, I have no idea how they're supposed to be this year. Yeah, uh, and, and it's another school where, where I think Wisconsin fans feel like you kind of see them almost every year. Um, not sure what to expect out of that one. And, and I think right up front, having St. Mary's at the season opener It'll tell you a lot, and not at the same time. It's a great litmus test right up front uh, to kind of gauge expectations. Maybe not for the whole season, but for the Marquette game that'll come up a, a couple weeks later uh, and, and kind of set the tone for how those first couple months are going to look. Um, yeah, those are the those are the main highlights, I think, on the non-conference schedule. They, they, they have Richmond as well, who... Um, I think traditionally has been kind of a, a mid-major name that, that makes the tournament quite a bit. Uh, they've fallen off in recent years, uh, weren't very good at all last year, are looking to improve a little bit this year, um, but maybe not as much of a challenge there. And I always like looking at Green Bay. Uh, they've been kind of running this super up-tempo system for a few years now that um, gave Wisconsin fits a couple of years back. And uh, obviously, Wisconsin is very kind of methodical plotting, especially on offense. Um, so that's a real contrast of styles where they could uh, run into an issue where perhaps build up a, a decent lead for how they play. But but Green Bay is, tends to be capable of getting points back in a hurry. Um, so so I think we're going to learn a lot about Wisconsin in the, in the first few weeks and um, hopefully early on kind of find their rhythm i'm not as optimistic about the early games just because of how much they're trying to figure out and and change with hap who you know kind of was the offense himself in in how much attention he he demanded uh for four years uh now they're they're going full-time without him and i think it's going to take a little bit to um to figure out their identity again um so there are some good tests in here. It's not the most daunting non-conference schedule, but but it's certainly littered with with respectable names from from start to finish. Yeah, it's probably about what you want for a team in Wisconsin's position where you can reasonably expect them to make the tournament field such that you're not going to need to pad your resume with wins. But at the same time, you want to give yourself enough of a challenge that you can you know, figure out how good you can be without putting too many notches in the loss column and maybe damaging your team's confidence when you know you're going to have a kind of reconfigured uh, a reconfigured playing group anyway. So that being said, the conference schedule, as we've been discussing in the other review segments, got to get used to this thing where you've got the two conference games in the first couple weeks of December because we're on an, a longer conference slate now. That's a home. That's a home game with Indiana, which you can chalk up as a win because, as yeah, <laughs> we discussed with our good friend Candy Stripes, the Hoosiers have yet to win in the Kohl Center, which is not a new building anymore. And yeah, still no. haven't still haven't pulled it off. You know, the law of averages would suggest sooner or later they'll get a win there, but it might it's... not be this one. And then there's also the trip to Rutgers four days later, which is a disaster one out of every three or four times. I, and we'll talk about Rutgers a little later and their program's kind of been on the rise for a couple of years. But uh, even when they've been terrible, they do inexplicable things there. 
so it's never exciting to go to Rutgers for basketball. <laughs> no, it's it's, almost you, <laughs> you, you could have just left it at it's never exciting to go to Rutgers. Uh, but the, you know, the good news for Wisconsin there, I suppose, is when you look at the way the calendar plays out, after that trip to Rutgers, they have 10 full days until their next game. So that they really ought to be able to zero in on a little bit and hopefully not, you know, stub your toe on a team that it, look, I don't think Rutgers is going to be in the conference basement by any means, but I don't expect, think anyone's expecting them to compete for a double buy either in the big 10 turn, sure. you know? So, so that's, that's a game that Wisconsin should be able to manage overall. The conference schedule is, is relatively balanced and the way that we've been, evaluating this is sort of you you have single play matchups with six conference opponents and if your single plays happen to be teams towards the top of the conference we would call that a more favorable schedule mm-hmm. if your single plays are isolated with the crappier teams then we'd call it a favorable schedule um wisconsin is kind of a mixed bag and that's actually what yeah. we've seen consistently um, single plays with Maryland, who is pretty much the consensus silver medalist in the conference for the preseason. <laughs> um, Michigan, which is probably not going to be quite what they were the last couple of years, but still has plenty of talent. And then kind of a mixed bag. Northwestern, we expect to be towards the bottom, but Illinois, right. Iowa, Penn State, all going to be kind of in the middle of the conference. So this is pretty well balanced. Only one definite top-tier team and only one definite bottom-tier team and a few others that could kind of land anywhere in the middle. The, the thing that I wonder, though, is how is it that Iowa and Wisconsin are only playing once? Yeah, uh, that's uh, and that's always been a fun matchup, especially when back in the Bo Ryan years when you kind of had two tempers that could explode at any time. Um, (laughs) But when you had the uh, the added fun of, you know, Ben Brust going one direction, um, Utoff going the other, like there's, there was all of those saucy little side plot lines. And I I get that you can't necessarily protect every, I mean, we can't have all four members of a quadrangle of hate doing protected (laughs) double matchups with each other every year. Sure. So I assume that they probably put more precedence on Wisconsin playing Minnesota twice every year, but this feels like a matchup we kind of need to see twice. And it's one of the many things that we lose with the inevitable conference expansion. So unfortunate. Anything, so let's take a, we'll kind of run through the schedule then mm-hmm. by calendar. And it's, I would call this front loaded in terms of a conference schedule. So before, let's see. First or second week of February, Wisconsin will have both of its matchups with Ohio State, both of them with Michigan State, their matchup with Maryland, and their road trip to Purdue. So mm. I would definitely call it a front-loaded schedule. The last three games are home against Minnesota, home against Northwestern, and on the road at Indiana. So it's uh, it's about as front-loaded of a schedule as you're going to see. Um, that said, it's distributed enough that it's it's manageable. I mean, opening the real stretch of conference play with a trip to Ohio State followed by Illinois at home could be tricky, but this is a conference schedule that could be manageable. I mean, the only thing really here is, like I said, there is this two-week stretch from January 14th, well, it's a little more than two weeks, through February 1st, where it's Maryland at MSU, Nebraska at Purdue at Iowa, and then MSU at home. So, Yeah, you're definitely hoping you're healthy for that for that run. That's... It's not ideal. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's uh, six games in 
like I said, uh, basically two weeks. So that's that's kind of the spot that determines whether Wisconsin is firmly in that top tier of the conference or if they're kind of in that five, six, seven range. Um, mm-hmm. And speaking thereof, I guess we'll move a little bit into prognostication here now. What do you view as being the best case scenario for your Badgers? This year, this is uh, probably going to be one of the most unknown years for for forecasting expectations for them. Um, you kind of alluded to previously the the recruiting classes for next year and the year after are shaping up incredibly nicely and and should set the tone for the program going forward. This uh, transitional year is kind of an apt description of it. Um, I think best case scenario, you're looking at fourth or so again i i you know the old joke was if you think wisconsin's going to be anything around average just pick them for fourth because they seem to to be there every year um, obviously that wasn't the case last year but i would say around fourth is the height of what i would expect to do michigan state is is too good to uh, to eclipse i think for them um, obviously we expect Maryland to be good, Purdue to be good, Ohio State to be good. Uh, I think they're capable of potentially jumping one of those if all the cylinders are firing, but um, it, Big Ten's a very tough conference, and this doesn't look like the year where they're just going to surprise everyone and vault to the top. Yeah, I, I think you're probably about right there. I'd, I would expect them to be flirting right around that double buy line. Um, who exactly they're going to knock off is tough to say. I guess you could maybe call Ohio State the biggest unknown of the top tier from most of the, you know, again, the consensus in the preseason picks is that the top tier is MSU, Maryland, Purdue, Ohio State. Um, I guess Ohio State's the biggest unknown, but I am still really high on Chris Holtman. So something in that five or six range wrestling with Michigan probably Mm -hmm. is more like it. I think on the court, what we're going to see here is, as you mentioned, kind of a more traditional Wisconsin offense with guards able to post up without half in the way, um, bigs that are more inclined to play on the perimeter. Maybe more balanced, for one thing. I mean, I would expect... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, that's that's with losing Hap, losing Iverson. Those are two guys that are spacing nightmares for your own team. Yeah. Um, I, Hap obviously is, I mean, he's a magician and he, he could do pretty much whatever he wants in the post, but uh, you can leave him out at the free throw line and sometimes even intentionally send him there. Um, Khalil Iverson, another one, he's a, a perimeter player that was super athletic, but not much of an outside shot to speak of. And you, you transition into this year, Wisconsin's going to have a lot of lineups where all five guys on the floor are going to be able to shoot from deep. Uh, the the million dollar question with them is, is the upgrade in spacing anything enough to offset what Hat brings to the table? Um, because you have guys that are can shoot, but not necessarily create their own offense nearly at that level. Um, save maybe Kobe King, who I had mentioned before that, you know, can kind of produce, but hasn't really put that all together yet at the collegiate level. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting. And then on the defensive end, which we haven't talked a ton about, 
it's worth noting Hap was a plus defender in the post. Khalil Iverson, probably the best defender on the perimeter. Uh, it's going to take some adjustment to to lose those kind of defensive anchors as well. Uh, so just a lot of questions for this team. Uh, a lot of talent. They they have too much talent to really be kind of flirting with the the conference seller or anything like that. But no, I don't it's, think it's I mean, really it's really tough to forecast where they're going to end up. Short of uh, our good friend Stu Monkey, who I've already talked to, Ben Dawson, who I'm going to be talking to, I don't know if anybody else would project that. So um, that said, though, there are some ways in which this might not work out. As you mentioned, I almost think that the bigger issue with losing Hap is going to be defensively, where he was extremely savvy as a post defender, not especially athletic necessarily, but a guy who disrupted a lot of things other teams would do. Iverson, also an underrated defensor, as you mentioned. And with Trice and Davison, they do have an undersized backcourt. Now, in Davison's case, a guy who is legendary for his ability to take take completely legitimate charges. But uh, (laughs) they they are a little bit on the small side. You know, you think about, for example, how they stack up against a team like Purdue, where not only do you have a Titan in Matt Harms, but you have to deal with Travion Williams behind him. And even on the wings, they have guys like Eastern and Wheeler that are just gigantic. And Mm -hmm. how a smaller team like Wisconsin is able to deal with that. I mean, they I know they have bodies who are tall enough, but in terms of guys who have proven they can play defense, a little bit shorthanded there. So about the worst case scenario for Wisconsin to me is that this is it. Although they've got this coach with a system with a tie to the old system that none of these players have really experienced it because their whole careers have been, you know, the offense goes through Hap without him there. Are any of these guys really able to create their own shots to keep the ball moving? I guess we'll see. That's kind of the worst case scenario, I think, is that Hap's absence leaves more of a vacuum than we expect and that they're not quite sure what to do without him there. That being said, though, as you mentioned, I think their worst case scenario here is still something like a seventh or eighth place finish in the conference, which given how good the big 10 is, it's not necessarily bad. And that still probably gets you comfortably in the tournament field. Yeah. I, um, and and you bring up Purdue who I think is when you start digging into individual matchups, I mean, Purdue is a team that Wisconsin has struggled with when they've had better bigs, um, and been able to kind of at least match up from uh, uh, from that standpoint. Uh, that's that kind of matchup. It's really tough to to predict Wisconsin with a result in in any situation there. Um, but I would agree. I, I, I think around eighth would be where I would guess a quote unquote poor transitional year would go. Um, I, I don't necessarily see them as going back to the year before last where they're missing out on the tournament entirely. Um, but if there's a year where that's going to happen again, you know, this is the prime one. Um, but I don't think it's going to necessarily get to that point. They uh, Ultimately, it'll come down to how well Greg Gard does at uh, kind of addressing the open questions that come from this roster um, that hasn't seen a lot of change as far as names on the roster but certainly as far as answering you know who do we go to when we need a bucket who are we going to when we need to stop the other team's best player 
Um, those are big questions that um, I don't know that people watching this team have answers to yet just because you know all the answers to those questions walked out the door in graduation. Right. All right. So that being said, let's go to another red and white team with a single gigantic letter for a logo. Let's talk <laughs> Rutgers. Yes. This team I thought was going to be pretty easy to write up until right around the time I started doing a little bit of preliminary research. Um, Eugene Omarui transfers out of the blue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the vibe was overwhelmingly positive and hopeful. And then your captain, your one senior who plays uh, leaves. And in a, in a way, it's understandable. I believe he ended up at Oregon, if I remember right. And that certainly is a program that's going to have much higher realistic goals for this season. And you, there are plenty of ways you can make excuses about this if you're, look at, if you're looking for the silver lining, which as a Rutgers fan I know is a very instinctual <laughs> move. Um, it, it's fair enough to say, well, you know, they've got younger, better players. He's going to be losing his role. That's all fine and dandy, but he's still definitely their best overall player, and he was still going to have a big role in, in, from a leadership perspective, if nothing else. More likely, it's just a guy, you know, in the modern transfer era of college athletics, he saw an opportunity to play on a better team that's going to be doing bigger things and decide to take that shot. All that said, it's still a program that has not been in this good of a spot since Eddie Jordan was a player there. Um, <laughs> you know, Pykele, since he came to campus, has had just basically a steady upward progression. Um in the win-loss column last year was nothing that impressive, but this is no longer a team that you look at as basically a scrimmage that counts as a win. Um, they were very rarely blown out. They did pick off a couple of ranked conference opponents at the time they played in Ohio State and Iowa, gave a lot of other teams struggles. <clears throat> the thing about this program long-term is if they want to keep improving, they have got to get better offensively. It, it was painful to watch sometimes last year they had multiple games the one that stuck out to me in particular was a matchup they had against maryland i don't remember which building it was in or even exactly when the season was i think it was kind of probably february kind of like in the oh my god the season is still going kind of phase of the schedule uh and <laughs> i just remember there that were was, a couple uh, times early i think january. it i think it was 12 they were stuck on 12 points <laughs> for an eternity like for most of the first half they were stuck on 12 points and that's still you know that's kind of an aspect of some of the players they've chosen because what Pykele has shown to be his wheelhouse is give me guys who are huge strong and defensively sound will rebound but who may be kind of offensively limited they, they've it feels like they've always got a couple of seven footers six ten guys and that's still going to be the case. What you have to hope is that they get guys who maybe are, are a little more talented with the ball in their hands. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned, with Omarui being their only real senior this year, they've got a young roster coming back. They've only got one incoming recruit, just a three-star wingman. No, no, mm -hmm. no, nothing special, but... Four, I mean, their four best players last year were all underclassmen. Um, yeah. Baker, who was a sophomore, and then Mathis, Harper Jr., 
and mm-hmm. in my opinion, Caleb McConnell, but they also had mm-hmm. some other younger guys, Peter Kiss, a, basically only a shooter at this point, as well as Miles Johnson. All their best players were either freshmen or sophomores last year. And if you want to look for the silver lining, yeah, Omarui left, but they still got a lot of guys, none of whom are necessarily obvious NBA departures. So sure. They may have the benefit of not only is their team young this year, but they could even have continuity into the following season. Um, so I guess my question then is you mentioned discussing your own team that it's that this Rutgers team is one that your program has stubbed its toe on a couple times. <laughs> uh, where, I mean, like, what is the realistic? short-term expectation kind of outside the context of this season do we expect Rutgers basketball to hit its ceiling sometime soon or do they really have the ability to push their way higher into the top tiers of the conference yeah uh, it's interesting to talk Rutgers basketball because you know obviously we're in the heart of football season where Rutgers takes a lot of crap from all of us Um, but the the conversation around basketball for Rutgers is much different than the conversation around football. I think I've been a big fan of what Coach Peichel has been putting together um, over the last few years, and and you kind of see the incremental improvement from them. Um, obviously, with the transfer, they are um, they are they're potentially going to continue to struggle a little bit this season, losing a, a bona fide leader on their team. But I think they're capable of. I don't. I don't know that this is a program capable of challenging at the very top of the conference. Um, Just looking at the the kinds of players that they're recruiting who, unlike on the football side, you know, you look at their last couple of classes, these are, these are recruits. These are are big 10 quality recruits that will compete for wins. Um, Again, probably not going to win the conference with them, but um, if you keep building up classes like these and, and having and have a, an established coach that knows what he's doing and um, is competing even with lesser talent, um, Rutgers is a program I think is capable of my ceiling for them right now and not present year, but maybe a few years from now, you could see them sneak into fourth on a, on a down year for the conference. Uh, that's the other thing is the conference is just so strong that even if they're improving, it, it's hard to tell because yeah. every yeah. And there's just so few easy outs in the conference. We're talking about Rutgers right now, who's as a program is maybe 11th, 12th in the pecking order. And it's not exciting to play against them. <laughs> they're, no. they're enough no. <laughs> already. Um, but as far as, just kind of their program outlook. I, I think they're recruiting at a level that isn't, you know, separating them from a ton of teams in the conference. But, um, you know, you, you already kind of referenced their underclassmen that are already contributing and, and paying dividends to them. You look at Mathis and, and Ron Harper and, and Caleb McConnell from last year's class, and they're bringing in Paul Mulcahy for, uh, for this year, who's kind of a nice wing player or off guard that you know looks good and the transition game looks good attacking the basket which is i think helpful for for the makeup of this roster um i i look at this team i think they're slowly putting pieces together that uh, raise their floor quite a bit 
Uh, and as a, for Rutgers, that's uh, that's about as much as I think you can ask for out of a, a newer head coach that um, kind of didn't have a lot to work with coming in. Yeah, and so to answer my own question, what do I think the ultimate ceiling, if you will, of this program is, I'll borrow an answer from my professional life as a lawyer, and I'll say it depends. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Phrase that I use all the time. Uh, if they continue to show the kind of incremental improvement that they have to this point, I don't think there's any reason why they couldn't. But the thing is, you do get to a point where, and you, you sort of reference this, you have to look at the neighborhood and <laughs> it getting into kind of this middle pack of a conference is not necessarily all that difficult. And the comparison that I think of here is Fran McCaffrey at Iowa. Yes. Right? When, when he first showed up there, the program was a crater. Uh, yes. He turned them into a better team, a much more exciting team to watch. But there comes a point where, you know, you, you get to a certain status in the conference. Maybe other teams around you have struggled for reasons outside of your control. Um, and then you look around and it's like, all right, well, who do we climb over next? <laughs> if, if you get to the middle of a conference and you look around, depending on where other teams are in a couple years, you may be trying to outmuscle Indiana for a basketball recruit. You may be trying to contend with Ohio state for a basketball player. Mm-hmm. You know, your coach may get poached by, a team from the ACC that can pay them more because you've got this athletic department that's structurally not as strong. You start to run into issues with breaking through into the next tier that like the, you know, the climb is not linear. Like it gets, it no, gets, I was, it's steeper as you get. Towards I was just the top. thinking the same thing. You know, you look at McCaffrey who, who ascended that program quite a bit, but success has kind of plateaued or maybe even fallen a little bit recently. Another guy I was thinking of when I was, when you were mentioning that I was thinking, well, you know, that sustained success is not guaranteed. You look at Chris Collins at Northwestern. Oh yeah. You know, first, yeah. first guy to, to take that program to the big dance. And, uh, and they are not replicating that at all. Um, so it, it's it's not a guarantee to, to ascend and, and maintain, um, as you're saying. Uh, but it's it's also tough to forecast which route they're going to go. And to Rutgers' credit, uh, they're putting themselves in the position to find that out. Yeah, and you know it. Lest, lest any Rutgers fans think we're being too gloomy about their program once again, which is, again, <laughs> kind of a kind of a habit at this point, if I'm being honest. Uh, all, I can, all we can say at this point is you just got to enjoy the climb one step at a time. If we're not quite ready to sign off on these big picture issues for your program yet and, you know, with a positive outlook, then, well, you, again, you just got to prove one one little move at a time that you can actually get there. So that said, let's go ahead and take a look at the forecast for this season um Rutgers scheduling under under Peichel has had a serious sweet tooth because they've got a big old batch of cupcakes <laughs> before they get to a big 10 ACC challenge matchup against Pitt um I, I seriously I didn't even think to make notes of any specific teams they played I guess I'll pull up their schedule so I can comment on that more specifically well, they've got in November they've got uh St. Bonaventure the Bonnies who I don't know how they look this year because that would be insane but um, yeah they they are uh, often a tournament team. Uh, Stone Cold Stephen F. Austin. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they, made, they made a couple tournament runs. Um, oh, you know, looking elsewhere, Niagara. Um, their head coach 
John Beeline's son just quit. Um, like not like this weekend, like he quit, you know, a week before the season starts. Um, and JIT, that's a name you'll know from the annals of recent basketball upsets. Thank you, Michigan. Um, <laughs> UMass hasn't exactly been, I mean, I, all I know about them is Marcus Canby went there and they're, you know, part of Calipari's history. <laughs> um, are, oh, I missed this. They have that, a home game against Seton Hall. That's yeah, I was say, man, <laughs> Hall sneaks right up and, and carries the entire conference or non-conference schedule with them. Yeah, well, and, and the thing about that Lafayette and Caldwell College, who I can't imagine is a D one team. No, uh, that's that... <laughs> got to be that's got to be D two. And the thing about that Seton Hall game is it comes right. They have their first two in conference. They go to the Breslin Center and then they host Wisconsin. And then three days after they play Wisconsin, they host Seton Hall. So um, yeah, that's, that's gonna... one calendar week. Yeah, that's that's a brutal stretch. Yeah, from December eighth to the fourteenth. At MSU, Wisconsin, Seton Hall. Uh, Boy, you come out, you look, if you come out of that and you still have, and you're still in the appropriate mindset to get ready for the rest of the conference season, then, you know, good on you. And I guess that's why you schedule Caldwell um, (laughs) for the wake of that. Because after that Seton Hall game, they do have a week off before Lafayette and then another week off before Caldwell. So they'll be able to cool down, reset from what is probably going to be a brutal three-game stretch. It's the the juice cleanse of... of (laughs) Basically, um, looking at the conference schedule... Not bad. They they do have single plays with MSU and Ohio State, so nothing too difficult there. Other single plays are mostly your mid-tier teams, Minnesota, Iowa, Indiana. Um, they do have a single play with Northwestern, which you if you're in Rutgers position, you're still trying to grab as many wins as you can, so you'd want to see more of the bottom of the table if possible. But mm-hmm. that's, you know, you can't necessarily control that much. So... To see if there are any particular stretches of note here. Again, we mentioned, you know, those first two games are going to be brutal. And you don't get a home return match for Michigan State. So not much of an opportunity there. But looking up and down their schedule, things are pretty well distributed. There is a stretch starting uh, late January. They host Purdue. They host Michigan. They go to Maryland. Then they host Northwestern before going to Ohio State. So that's a stretch of five games that's going to be extremely difficult. That all happens in a little bit more than two weeks. And again, you know, we're not talking about Rutgers here in the context of a team that's going to be competing for a double bye, most likely. They could be in the picture for a single bye, though. And this is a stretch where if they can pull more than two wins out of that bracket of five games because Northwestern at home, that's a game you got to have. Yeah. If they, if they get any of those other matchups in there, then they're probably going to be in pretty good shape because before that, you know, their conference schedule opens pretty magically. You've got Nebraska, Penn state, um, Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska again. So they're a lot of their manageable wins are towards the beginning of the schedule. It really, it does ramp up as they go on. They're going to need to pile up some wins in January. Not that we'll likely be talking about them as a tournament team, but if you want to, if you want to build, if you want to get good vibes going for next season, get your wins before the calendar turns to February because it's going to get a lot harder after that point. Yeah, it's um, it's there, but they're one of those teams where I, I think we we bring up these uh, opponents that they have in a in a stretch there, 
And, you know, Rutgers is going to be a tough out for them. I, I, I don't see them like you go to the beginning of the conference going back up to December at Michigan State. That's not one that I think Michigan State has to worry about. They don't have that kind of firepower. But for the most part, these this tough stretch that we're talking about is uh, no doubt about it. They're going to struggle to find wins in here. But but I to their credit, again, I think they're a team that can scrap to to collect a couple of these and um, particularly immediately preceding the, the stretch that uh, at the end of January, um, there's some wins to be had. They, they could be going into this with some confidence and momentum and kind of looking down at a lot of teams on the, on the conference uh, standings list. And, you know, I, it'll be interesting to watch uh, Maryland. I, I don't know that they have the firepower for, Purdue, I, I wonder how they match up on it because they both kind of like to load up on on bigs a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I, if you know, if there's a team that's built to physically match Purdue up front, Rutgers is definitely one of them. Whether they can score enough points, I guess it, I almost well, feel like that matchup depends more on Purdue. If the Boilermakers put their offense together into anything resembling last season, well, I, they won't because they don't have Carson Edwards. But if their offense is at least a functional Big Ten offense commensurate with their overall talent, then I don't know if Rutgers can get over that hump. But that's that's a manageable win because, yeah, as you mentioned, that is a style of opponent, at least we think, that Rutgers ought to be able to match up with. Yeah, bet the under on that game, though, because, I mean, we don't we have a lot of questions about Rutgers offense. Purdue typically stout defensively as well as being a length problem. Um, at least it's at home, but you finish with Purdue at Purdue to close yeah. out the season um, that you, you could see some Wisconsin type scores in there. <laughs> <laughs> so he accepts the reality. Um, okay, so it's, it's one it's one thing to be intentional about it. It's the other to not to be just, trying to score 12 points and a half. Yeah. So we, we've kind of touched on this a few times. I, I think we're on approximately the same page that the best case scenario for this team involves maybe sticking their head above water in the middle of the conference pack. Um, dependent mostly on the development of those young players. If if guys like Mathis and Baker and Harper all take this more than the typical step forward that you get from year to year, they could well be in business. The tournament still feels like it's out of reach this year, but you could be flirting with a 500 league record. That would be a hell of a step forward. I would tend to agree. And, you know, we talked about Wisconsin um, kind of in a transition year, their floor kind of being around that eighth spot. Um, I can, you can talk me into if Rutgers, you know, if their youth keeps paying dividends, you could talk me into that being their kind of around where their ceiling is, the seven, eight, nine area. Um, you know, there, there's definitely some losses on the schedule for the conference, but, uh, but, you know, they have a, a strong coach and, and they're bringing in, you know, strong talent on the recruiting trail, you know, you could talk me into that, you know, that being where they are this year. I mean, they tied for 10th, I think this past year. I believe so. It's so. not, it's not like a stretch to, to jump one or two teams overall um, and, and get up to that level. Um, it's a, uh, it's an interesting school to watch or an interesting program to watch. Yeah. Uh, 
there's a now that I'm thinking about it more, it's I think the variance is kind of on level with what we were talking about with Wisconsin, just because you know you look at some of these teams. Um, I don't know how a lot of these games are going to play out, but but you feel like they're going to be a tough out for, I'd say, at least half the conference. Yeah, and I mean, the downside here, the potential downside at least, is kind of what we referred to earlier, that as you move upward, the neighborhood gets more difficult. And obviously, no team improves or declines in quality in a vacuum. So if, say... (laughs) Minnesota gets their act back together, even without coffee and Murphy this year. I think Minnesota probably still has more talent on paper than Rutgers does. Um, Same case for a team like Iowa, probably even the same case for a team like Penn state. If one or two of those other teams really puts things together, it does feel as though there would still be a higher ceiling for those teams right now than there would be for Rutgers. Just isn't to say that this program necessarily has anything wrong, but it could be that if your peers are doing better than we expect, then, you know, as we said earlier, the climb gets more difficult. And maybe you end up stagnating a little bit. There is going to be, we'll see what the how the issue of on-court leadership pans out this year. I don't want to minimize what a big loss Omarui is. So we'll see how this pans out. As you mentioned, they're going to be an interesting team to watch yeah and i think i think the leadership uh comment you you provided was uh pretty apt you know we we just talked about purdue and and trying to figure out you know how they're exactly going to replace carson edwards it's essentially the same thing obviously a transfer is more unexpected but um but it's it's just one of those things you're you're you've got your leader that uh opted to to walk away and you're you're kind of from a leadership standpoint, perhaps an off the court standpoint, you know, who's going to step up and uh, keep things rolling. Yep. So that being said, I think we've spent enough time in Jersey for a lifetime (laughs) and I'll give you for a change of pace, a red team. Uh, Let's talk about the Ohio (laughs) state Buckeyes. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The picture of the program that I came up with here is patient, but very eager. Uh, last <laughs> year, in year two of Chris Holtman, if I remember, I think I'm pretty sure in year two, they took so. a step backwards, but understandably so, because there was that recruiting gap at the end of Thad Mata's tenure that, you know, the infamous class where all the guys were gone before they completed their second year on campus. 
Um, the only two transfer, the only two seniors they had were a couple of transfers, Jackson, who'd been there longer, and then Keyshawn Woods, who were functional, but nothing special. And of course, they also had to deal with losing Kata Bates Jopp, who was a conference player of the year that Holtman inherited and helped along. I mean, it's fair to say that he helped with that because Bates Jopp was not what he was um, for Holtman when Mata was still the coach. So what you could say for Ohio State last year is that the effort and the defense didn't really lag. I mean, it was still, you can tell this is still a team that plays hard, that still believes in the concept they have, but it just, man, offensively, uh, <laughs> they were they were a bit of a mess at times. And, you know, there was kind of this triad of teams, right? I felt like every time during the week, you know, if I happen to have a little bit of spare time on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, I'm like, why don't, you know, MSU's not playing, but why don't I flip on over to good old BTN and catch some Big Ten hoops, and it's either Ohio State playing Northwestern or Ohio State playing Rutgers or Rutgers playing Northwestern. It was just one of that rock, paper, scissors where it's basically just three rocks. And I'm like, how is it? Like, I feel like these time, these teams have each played each other like five times, and I've watched every single game. I get how it's always one of these three. Uh, and so, you know, again, all of which is hopefully I've conveyed the point that they had. They certainly have more talent than either Northwestern or uh, or Rutgers did, but offensively, the result sure looked similar a lot of the time last year. Um, <laughs> you know, they they managed. They actually did still manage the tournament, even though they lost seven out of their last ten. And Snuck right only, in there. Yeah, only went eight and twelve in the conference overall. Uh, yeah, but they, you know, they had the earlier season um, matchups that. But they had the win against Creighton, I remember. Uh, and then in the tournament, they did send Iowa State packing, but then got bounced by Houston themselves. So, what the you know the way last season played out was probably about as good as you really could have expected. Because what were they really last year? They were the Wesson brothers and friends. <laughs> they would have you know individual guys would have individual games. You know, I, I mentioned C.J. Jackson. I mean, he had games where he put up some points, but there were others where he didn't see a bad shot that he didn't like. Um, Keyshawn Woods had a couple of moments, but probably didn't quite have the impact they expected in getting him from Wake Forest. You know, other guys up and down the roster. I mean, Musa Jallo sometimes looked like he could be more than a role player, but role player was really still what he was. Um, even Andre Wesson, it was still kind of best served as a second option. So... If Caleb Wesson wasn't going for 26, 28, 30 plus points, they were going to be struggling. And because he was in foul trouble a lot, you know, they, they, the off, he would have to be out and the offense would grind to a stop without him. So that shouldn't be the case this year, though. We've, again, discussed kind of this consensus that's out there. Most projections put them inside the top four in the conference this year. The fact that Caleb Wesson decided to come back was a big part of that. And he's probably still their feature player, but there's, there should be a lot more complimentary pieces around him. Yeah. And they, I'm pretty bullish on Ohio state this year. Obviously people have, you know, caught wind with their own preseason expectations, but I I think they're flirting with, you know, number two in the conference. Um, Just looking back at how they've been doing, on the the recruiting trail you look you know 2017 top recruiting class in the conference last year not quite but um 
bringing in guys like Luther Muhammad um, that are our potential Big Ten stars. And then this year, a top recruiting class in the conference once again. Um, there are some questions because I, I, they, are, they have a ton of talent in their underclassmen uh, roster, but they're bringing in guys that are capable of coming in and making a difference right away. Um, and I think the combination of that and getting Wesson back, who you already went at length about, but, you know, kind of that Ethan Happ level of importance, um, being able to get someone like that back and, and kind of be your anchor when you have so many great underclassmen prospects coming in or already there, but but maybe not quite ready to, to kind of take the reins. Uh, you think about Kyle Young, who might be, I think, one of those people that you referenced that can have a game here or there. Um, they, Best they, garbage man in the conference by a mile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you watch Kyle Young play, it's like, like every bucket he gets, it's like, oh, how did he get through there and score it? But, you know, then you look and he's got like 10, 12 points. It's like, God, yeah. he, you know, he, some, you guys got to know your role. And, he, as that backup to Wesson, <clears throat> really fit into that spot really nicely. And, yeah, you mentioned the recruiting class. Boy, this is the kind of class that you can build a program around for multiple years because yeah. it's got pl- – I mean, they're all top 50 guys um, other than Jallo, who's a physical project. But, man, is he imposing if he ends up working out. But with DJ Carton, Alonzo Gaffney, EJ Liddell, all top 50 recruits, None of them, however, are surefire one and dones. I mean, I think Carton probably no. leaves early, but you could have mo- two or three of those guys for multiple years, and they're the types of guys you can build programs around. Because if you're, if you're not going to recruit the way that Duke and Kentucky and Kansas do, we've got multiple five and high four star guys every season then this is the way you want to do it. This is like the Villanova model of program building where. Hmm. None of your guys are necessarily going to be ESPN highlight, you know, lottery picks right away, but they're going to stay longer. They're going to develop. They're going to have experience. They're going to fit in your system and you're going to win a lot of games with guys like this. You can win a lot of games with a roster like this. And in addition to the freshmen, um, you mentioned Luther Muhammad. Another guy who I am very interested in watching is Dwayne Washington for the simple reason that. Michigan State probably could have had him. They made an interesting decision to take a commitment from Foster Lawyer pretty early in the recruiting cycle for this class that will be sophomores. And I like Lawyer just fine as a complimentary guy, as an emergent. And funnily enough, he had the game of his career against Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament and hit like four threes in the first half, which basically knocked Ohio State out. Yeah, but it's this is always this is one of those situations where your team picks a guy and you're thinking about another guy because I think Washington is from like Battle Creek or Grand Rapids somewhere in Michigan. Um, Izzo probably could have had either, but he went with Lawyer, and uh-huh. I'm, you know I'm in no position to question Tom Izzo's choices. But given what we saw from these two guys last year, man, do I kind of wish we had Dwayne Washington <laughs> instead. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I, obviously. I... I've been wrong about that kind of thing far more often than I've been right. Sure. And I'm, I'm worried DJ Carton is going to be one of those guys for me. Granted, he just openly chose Ohio state, but had an offer oh, yeah. from Wisconsin. Um, people following Wisconsin recruiting 
uh, are familiar with his name. Uh, he kind of blew up after Wisconsin offered at their advanced camp and, um, and, and really could have gone anywhere that he wanted once, once people caught wind of his name. But um, you had mentioned DJ as potentially one of those that could leave early. I don't know that he'll be a one and done, but he kind of reminds me of, he, I think he, you might get more than maybe you might get three years out of him just because of his size. You know, he's only six, six one. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you, you think of a guy like Tyus Jones, who's that, that size as well. And just as explosive a player um, was one and done. So um, it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, he's, he's one of those. And at the top of what is a, a ridiculous class, um, full of guys that I think are going to give people problems for, for several years. It's not encouraging to see them recruiting at this level. <laughs> no, not at all. Especially, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, the, the space that they made at the top of the conference the last few years, I don't necessarily mind that that, that that um, opening was there, but enough stroking Ohio state's roster. Let's discuss what we see on paper here. Plenty of interesting mashups in the non-conference um, first game of the season, unless I remember incorrectly, Cincinnati, Yes. Um, and then also matchups with Villanova. They go to North Carolina in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They play Kentucky. They play West Virginia. Um, if it weren't for the absurd way Michigan State scheduled this season, this would be the toughest non-con in the conference, but still a lot of interesting matchups here. Absolutely. And, and the Cincinnati one will be very interesting. I don't know. They, they were strong last season and looked to be about the same this year. Um, but Ohio State, I think, is is going to make big strides. Just followed by you know, returning Wesson and bringing in this these uh, freshmen that are ready to play. I think they're going to have a new look to them. That uh, and Cincinnati's not really going to get a good look at them. They're jumping right in. Um, so that's a that's a big one. And and they're starting right off with that as well as Villanova, like you mentioned. I don't know that they'll maybe have the horses for Villanova, but um, if they turn it on right away. I'm pretty bullish on Ohio State. I, I think they could go on a nice little run here heading into North Carolina at the beginning of December. Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm usually pretty terrible at predicting specific game results, but I'll tell you this. They they only play Michigan State once. It's, mm-hmm. at, it's at the Breslin Center, and it's the last game of the season. Um, yeah. It would not surprise me if that game is for either a piece of or the entire regular season title. It, it wouldn't surprise me if Ohio State's the next team there because although I've I, we've seen some thoughts expressed to us by our Maryland associates that Turgeon has made some useful changes in his staff and approach this offseason, I still don't really believe in him as an actual coach. Uh, so <laughs> as talented as Maryland is, I don't think they're going to live up to their preseason expectations. Not to say that they're going to collapse or have a bad season. I just don't think they're going to quite be right at the top. Um, but yeah, um, I think we're on the same wavelength and really liking where Ohio State is and where they could be going. Because again, they're they're still going to have a really young roster. Andre Wesson's their only senior. And I think most people probably expect Caleb Wesson to leave after this year. Mm-hmm. But even if he's gone after this year, you know, they've got those guys and to add those two to this freshman class and last year's freshman class, 
there's a lot to like here if you're the Buckeyes. It, you know, I get that the end of the Mata era was really unfortunate. I mean, obviously, it's his back injury just forced him out of the profession, and he maybe yeah. carried a little more than he should have. So the program fell into a bit of a lull because of it. But it really does feel like Holtman's gotten this thing out of the ditch in pretty short order. So um, looking again, we we mentioned a little bit about the conference matchup. They start off with Penn State at home and then trip to Minnesota. Those are both manageable games to get off, um, to get out of the gates with. Single plays, I mentioned MSU. And then other than that, most of them are in the bottom half of the conference bracket where you've got Northwestern, Iowa, Minnesota, Penn State, and Rutgers as the other single plays. So they do get two cracks at Purdue, two cracks at Maryland, um, you know, two shots at Michigan, which you would expect and mm-hmm. two shots at Wisconsin. So they're going to have plenty of opportunities to build a resume. They'll have a lot of control over their positioning in the conference because they play most of the teams they're going to be relevant um, twice. So looking at their schedule up and down, things are pretty well distributed. Um, the yeah. you know the biggest note that I would mention is, yeah, that, that one game at Breslin Center is... March 8th, <laughs> 4.30. Um, probably going to be one of the last regular season games anywhere in the country now that I think about it. Yeah, Sunday afternoon on that last one. Um, yeah, I and you had a little earlier in that uh, rundown mentioned you thought that game might be for at least a piece of the conference title. I don't think I'm going to go all the way there yet, um, in part for reasons that you just described with the single plays for the most part being at the bottom of the conference. Um, that's a, it's a tougher schedule when you just factor in single versus double plays. Um, that could be enough in addition to, you know, Michigan state just being, it looks like they're going to be the class of the conference this year. Um, but what a way to spike the football at the end of the conference slate, just having that oh, yeah. at, yeah. at Michigan state. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I'm that concerned about Michigan State having to defend their potential conference crown in that game, but but that is perhaps the marquee game of the conference slate, and we have to wait until the very end to see it. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, I think this I think this team can potentially do some damage to this schedule. Um, there's no, I think, daunting rough stretches, even when they have. They've got you know Purdue and Maryland, at, but at home over the course of a week, and they sneak Iowa in there in between. Um, Wisconsin and Maryland to kind of kick off the new year. Um, I I think this team can potentially do some real damage to their conference schedule, despite you know, not getting kind of favorable double picks for for teams that we anticipate will be at the lower end of the conference. Um, I think that they'll potentially do some damage, not quite to Michigan state's level, but um, they're really going to be competing throughout this, this entire slate. Yep. And so that, you know, that kind of, I think covers what we think their best case scenario would be. It's a scenario that we think is pretty likely, which is they're certainly a double buy team. um, Probably. I mean, maybe with a shot to can be, I mean, I know everyone wants to pat Michigan stay in the back so much, but the last, cu- <laughs> the last all I'll say is that the last couple times they've had big time preseason expectations, it has not gone as I would have liked, specifically with regard to the tournament, which, you know, I, I love winning the Big Ten. Last year was a hell of a <laughs> lot of fun, 
But if they flame out early in the tournament, that's all that I'm. Yeah, I have this lingering anxiety about. Last year got a lot of that bad taste out of my mouth. But in any case, um, best case scenario for Ohio State, yeah, is that you that everything goes according to plan, basically, <laughs> and they mm-hmm. they finish double by in the BTT, probably a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. And you'd, you'd hope to get past the first weekend. That obviously depends on matchups. And, um, it, you know, you're down to a couple games. Is it really fair to pin your judgment about an entire season on how they do in a single elimination tournament? Maybe not, but that's kind of how the sport goes. <laughs> so um, the worst case scenario, I suppose, I mean, it's not something I, I didn't even remember to write this up properly. But the the worst case scenario, I guess, for Ohio State is. I could see it playing out where Caleb Wesson has the Nick Ward dilemma, where he's a preternaturally talented post scorer, but if he ever wants to be a high pick and it's and an impact guy in the NBA, he's got to shoot threes. He's got to show he can play on the perimeter. And he had he had a little bit of success with that last year, did Wesson um, shooting from distance, but Ohio State's best offense does not involve him taking five or six threes a game. It just doesn't. (laughs) For the college game, they got to keep him closer to the basket where he scores easily, where he can get putbacks, where he can put the opposing front court in foul trouble. Um, If he's not willing to play ball with that, um, we may see a little bit of tension between what's best for the team and what's best for its most talented player. That's about the most that I can come up with for a worst case scenario for Ohio State. And given where they were before Holtman showed up, that is a hell of a good worst case scenario to have, you know? Absolutely. And I, I think you hit it right on the head as far as Wesson and his own development. You know, a guy of that caliber, if the knock on him is outside shooting, you're going to anticipate that he probably put a ton of time into that over this offseason. But once you get back into the games, you can't just change you know, your DNA, your team's DNA, what makes you click. Um, so it would be foolish to to fire up six or seven threes a game. Um, but yeah, I, I think the floor for this team, I also think is really high. Um, if anything, I'd say kind of dropping some of these non-conference matchups with, you know, Villanova, North Carolina, Kentucky. Those are some big games, um, but they don't necessarily mean a ton if, you know, they're not impacting you on the bubble. And I really don't, even at, the, even at the floor of what I think this team will see this upcoming season, I don't think the bubble is part of it. I Just based on the pure talent that's been coming in, um, if they are a bubble team, something beyond our imagination. <laughs> has, yeah, that would, uh, would I, it would be some off-court thing or a series of injuries. I mean, that's, that's kind of the unspoken thing here yeah. But yeah any any team especially in basketball if you have injuries to a couple of key guys yeah things are going to go badly that's sort of implied in in any preseason prognostication i would think obviously with a total of 15 players on a team if your two best guys are hurt things are not going to go well um but that's you know that's baked into every season for every basketball team so yeah look at the stuff that we think might play out if everything goes reasonably normally it's a good time to be an ohio state fan which man do i hate that yeah i don't want to talk about that a whole lot um it still stings (laughs) a little bit but uh yeah if, if i were them you know the football team's obviously a machine basketball team you know 
just in looking at that, preparing for this, I, I, I think they're going to be really strong as well. Um, so it's always, it's always fun when you have kind of both your flagship programs clicking like that. Yep. OH, eat at Arby's. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't picked that up yet. Your source for big gun call. It's off tackle. Empire.